0: Father, we do thank you again for this time together. I thank you for this group, the blessing they are to Tammy and I and, and the encouragement that they are, that they're faithful and that they are hungry to hear your word. I pray that, Father, you do in our hearts what only you can do, which is take the knowledge that we, that we gain and ignite it in our hearts so that it becomes a passion, not just a principle that we live according to your word out of a love for you and a love for your church not just out of a sense of um, duty or this is how our little bubble on the planet works but that we see the big picture, that we see the purpose behind what you're doing in us and in the church at large. Father, as we turn today to right repentance I pray that you speak to each one of us on how our affections and our emotions connect to right doctrine, and the need that we have to repent of our sin and trust in Christ daily, even as believers, that that is the language and the breath and the um, warp and woof, as it's called, of Christian life, our new hearts are uh, given a nature that is aware of our need for grace, and we crave it. So teach us to crave it rightly, and to um, and to grow in our desire to be right with you and keep short accounts with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're talking again about growing in the grace of the gospel. And uh, today's uh, discussion, we we talked about four things, well, five things. There were the five R's. Do you remember the five R's? Because it's in the Bible, it's five R's, yeah. Um, It's reading the Bible. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago. How? (laughs) Here it comes. (laughs) The Baptist coming out. Um, there was a, the, the the reading of the Bible. There is the um, the the what? Reaching
1: out.
0: Reaching out, which is the evangelism missions thing. Repentance, right repentance. Do you remember the one last week? Radio. Chelsea is mouthing regular <laughs> prayer. Regular prayer.
2: <laughs>
1: and then remaining <laughs> remaining in
0: fellowship was the last one. Um, the, the one on fellowship, I, I'm not going to handle in here. We have had an entire month of life in the local church, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And so I think that that, that has been, uh, and is going to again be addressed this morning, that, that whole topic I, I think has been addressed. And, and so I just refer you to, to Philip and the others who have, have talked about that. Um, so this morning... We're going to look at right repentance, and next week we're going to look at reaching out with the gospel. So, what does that look like, and how does that help us to grow in grace? So, um, let's start out this way. If we're forgiven in Christ for sins, past, present, and future, why should we repent as believers? Is His sacrifice and our trust in it as when we're converted, is that, is that not enough? Why do we regularly repent? Why does the Bible call for that? What is the purpose of that? What are your thoughts?
3: Acknowledging God's
0: glory. Sound okay, so we're acknowledging God's glory. Need
3: for him.
0: His, his, what need for Him. The need for Him. Acknowledging His sovereignty. Acknowledging His glory. His need for Him. What's, what's some other reasons? So
3: we're not in our righteous bodies. <clears throat>
0: We're, we're, still, we're still trapped, as Paul calls it, this body of death. And so we still sin. But didn't Jesus already pay for all that? Yes. So why repent again?
4: Because that's the how we're changed, how we're conformed to His image. By ah. repenting, changing. So that's the, the means by which we are changed over time.
0: So if we're trying to grow in the grace of the gospel, we better be... Well, at least we better have an understanding and engage from the understanding, a regular repentance and faith cycle. Right? Because you're going to sin. I mean, John says, if we sin, if we say we have no sin, we're liars. I'm paraphrasing. That may be in the message, though. I don't know. but I'm paraphrasing. If we say we sin, if we say we don't have sin, we're liars, which means we're just sinning again. Um, but he also goes, goes on to say in First John 2, 1, um, I, I write to you these things that you may not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what is he doing there? He's saying, you, we do sin. If we do, when some translate that, when you sin, you have an advocate. You <coughs> repent of the sin, and you turn toward the advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, his righteousness. That's something that uh, is is is. Is a um, a relationship between faith and repentance? That I think we often overlook is that repentance is a turning from sin. Faith is a turning to the greater joy, which is Jesus, and that's a constant thing that we're doing. Let's define repentance. Repentance is a recognizing that God's judgments are right. We refer to it as sorry, His sovereignty, His glory. A sorrowful recognition that the thing we did was wrong and a sincere desire to turn away from that wrong thing. Um, from, from that, from the repentance, the desire to change, if it's right repentance, results in us changing, us moving away from the sin. It's not a perfect thing. I, I graphed the Christian life, well, my Christian, I'll, I'll make it personal, my Christian life this way. I, I got born again here, right? It's this point right here. And, and it was kinda, it's been kind of one of these. Yeah. this kind of thing. That was college. This was college. Um, <laughs> it, this is, I was below an unbeliever in college. So you, you see this trend. You have periods of ups and downs. There are times. What happens when we sin? What is a natural inclination for us when we sin? What do we in, in life of the church in, in our in our in our growing in grace? What happens?
3: Withdrawing from fellowship and isolating yourself.
0: Yeah, all these things we're talking about. We draw from. We withdraw from. We don't have anything to do with reading the Bible. It's a two-edged sword, and that hurts. I don't want. I don't want anything. I don't to go near that. I don't want to pray because I'm confronted with, "Well, what are you praying about?" Right? And I don't. I don't want to be in fellowship because everybody else is, you know, true fellowship unless it's like cotton candy Christianity. You, you have accountability within the group. How are you doing? What's Jesus doing in your life right now? What's going on? Well, I'm in horrible sin right now, and I really don't want to repent for it. That's not going to come out very easily. I hope it does eventually, but we, we withdraw from that. We don't want to, we want to have light conversations, light little things. Oh, we did this work over here. Oh, we're going to go and not really deal with heart issues. That's our natural <clears throat> bent is to withdraw and to hide and to, and to mask things, right? Well, we're not repenting. Um, so you're certainly not going to, out of an abundance of a heart that is full of a love for Christ... When you're in sin, you're not gonna be sharing the gospel. Right? That's a little difficult to do. Do we agree? Yeah. Okay, all right. So it's important. I had a I had a Sunday school teacher a long time ago. He's still in town, he's one of my good friends. He he he, he terms it this way: keep short accounts with God on repenting. And he didn't mean that you lose your salvation, you gotta you know, pay for things again. What he means is, keep yourself fresh in repentance, again and again and again, so that you're not weighed down, you're not withdrawing from those means of grace. Yes, sir?
4: I've heard this um, concept described as your position and your condition in Christ. Good. Your position is whether you're saved or not saved. Right. It never changes. Right. Well,
0: unless you're... were you never saved to begin with. Then it still doesn't change, it's just your, delusional. Your
4: condition is this right here, it's, it's semi-emotional, you go up and you down, and mm-hmm. How you treat one another and
0: God and all that. Excellent. Your position versus your condition. Not versus really, but and your. It's kind of a both and. <clears throat> so, to kill sin, to grow in grace, we must repent and trust Jesus. And it's not just what gets us into the kingdom, repentance and faith, are the heartbeat of the Christian life. Every pulse moves us closer to Him. Can you describe for me if you dare can you describe for me the difference between godly repentance and worldly remorse? What does that look like? Godly repentance and worldly remorse. I don't know. I I just yes, go ahead. Else wants <clears throat> to no, go ahead. I just I, I think worldly
2: remorse is that you're sorry you got caught. You're, okay. You're you're sorry for maybe um, the consequences that follow. Mm-hmm. But I think. Godly repentance is all of a sudden that sin that you were holding on to more than anything is now abhorrent to you. Mm -hmm. It's ugly. It's something you don't want to have anything to do with anymore. And Christ is beautiful. Yeah.
4: Good. I think there's also something connected to worldly remorse that you can restore what you may have broken.
0: Ah. Interesting. I can fix this. pay
3: restitution for whatever...
0: If I, if, I, way or if I do penance, if I go serve time at the Salvation Army, if I do these things, it'll be okay. I can fix this. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I
3: think sometimes, too, the worldly remorse might be okay. sorry for it, but I'm um, not dealing with it. In repentance, you are starting to turn <coughs> around or turn from it and pursue the opposite. In <coughs> the worldly sometimes well, I'm sorry, but they're not, we, whatever, don't change or try to not
0: so godly, rem- uh, worldly remorse would be corner- kind of a mask and move on kind of idea.
3: You're like weighed down by your own guilt, too. And worldly remorse, you know, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This mm-hmm. is the power of Christ. In you. Mm-hmm. So, and then you just usually end up repeating the sin instead of truly
0: just... And then masking and moving on again. Jeffrey? You were going to say something else? It
4: was the exact same thing as Tim. Okay, good. I just want to make
0: sure. Yes?
4: Um, I was actually reading this... Last Yesterday in Romans 12, Romans 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Good. And I kind of did a little study on it, and abhor is such a strong word. Ah. And I think you said, ma'am, just abhorring very much evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> cleaving to that which is good. Mm-hmm. Cleaving, when I looked it up in Hebrew, was actually to stick. Mm-hmm. It was like a glue. And when you stick and glue to that which is good, it's almost like God is part of you, like, there's no... Yeah. There. And
0: uh, I thought that was it. Good, good. I got to tell you, the accent, you immediately, like, credibility is way up here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Grant, go ahead.
4: Very good, uh, very good. Well, all I was going to say is that uh, godly repentance, uh, I think one actually cares if you're offending God or not. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with your actions. Um, that you continue on or not, it's that, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, I am offending a righteous God instead right.
0: of Right, very good. Well, you're anticipating a lot where we're going. Yeah, Carlos. Uh, uh,
3: there's also, um, with worldly remorse, there's like this fear of your sin being exposed and you being in a spotlight. Mm. Whereas in godly um, repentance, you're trusting God more and more, okay, if this is going to be exposed, I mean, I'm trust God, whatever but there's a fear of, oh, I want to be exposed, I want my mistakes to be out there for people to judge me. So I think that's something that keeps us from.
0: Yeah, there. very good.
3: Chelsea. Um, um, well, just, I think everybody already said something similar, but when you're not regenerate, when you don't have a walk with God, or as a an non-believer <coughs> doesn't even maybe believe in the existence of God at all, mm-hmm. much less bow to him, um, you may be sorry about something and not even know why, or not, mm-hmm. and you have guilt and you're living in the guilt, makes your behavior a certain way, and you have no clue
1: mm-hmm.
3: what the, the issue is. Whereas when we sin as a believer, we know right away. The second, when we're contemplating sin, mm-hmm. when we're, it's, we already know that we're offending a holy, righteous God and that we're going to be separating ourselves in a way from Him if we do that.
0: You may not be able to spell out. All of the, the, the rudiments of the sin that you're that you but something's wrong,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know something's wrong.
3: There's a
0: cloud. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I I may have told some of you this before, um, many moons ago when when Tammy and I were were dating, um, not that many moons ago. <laughs> uh, we um, I was I was a uh, <laughs> I was kind of a a. a uh, I was, my heart was not in a place it needed to, I was
1: here,
0: <laughs> here, and oh, this is the college, law school, the whole thing right there, and so, but we were dating, and she had no business dating me to begin with, but she did, and so this is not an endorsement for missionary dating whatsoever, it's just the way it worked out, and God his providence, in the very rare occasion, it, it, it's, I think it worked out. Um, she's wondered many times, but, um, so, we were, she, she's Baptist preacher's wife, Right. Daughter. Da- oh, wow. Right. We had lots of repentance. No, it was a. I'm sorry, daughter. Daughter. Very difficult. If only I could have done that in a British accent, it'd be much better. But. Um, so we we had we had this thing where she had this idea of what a, a man should be, and I had a, a, an idea of what she probably thought a man should be. And so um, one night on our dates, uh, I I thought, man, this would be really cool. I'll just I'll just pray at the end of the date, right? i just kind of. Do one of those. But, hey, let me pray for us before we go. You know, just kind of. So I started praying, and it had been weighing on my heart for a while. This whole thing of you're here, the cloud was there, and it wasn't a light cloud. It was a dark cloud. It was a cloud that, in my heart. I'm wondering, have I gone too far? Because I, I somewhere along, nobody ever told me this, but I had this. Idea in my head that you can you can trample grace and go on and never come back. You know this this kind of thing, not really understanding that once God has you, He has you, and He works through this, and He does grant you repentance and those kinds of things. So I'm, I'm I have this whole thing in me, just kind of brewing. It's just brewing, and I'm I'm quashing it down, quashing it down because I don't want to deal with it. Don't want to deal with it. And so I started praying. I was going to do this very arrogant, you know, kind of well, kind of thing, and and, and, and really impress her because I'd made it past the three-month mark, so I, th- I saw hope, you know, because she cut everybody off at three months whenever she did them before. Um, she was called Tammy the Terminator. So, um, so I started praying. And what came out of me, and I don't know how this happened. I don't know where this happened. I don't know why. But I started praying Psalm 51. What's up with that? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And started and I got to that point where it says cast me not away from your presence And it broke me Because that was the core of my fear I had not repented and that's the core of the fear. So what I want to look at today is that song Because I think and, and, and just to be fair to you so you know this is not this study is not original with me but it confirmed. What, Phil Johnson is a guy that that is a, like one of the right-hand guys for John MacArthur. I heard him preach on this sermon, and it confirmed for me what happened then and what my understanding kind of was about repentance. But it clarified, going through this psalm, clarified for me what it what it means to rightly repent. So I want to share that with you. Which, which one is psalm fifty-one. Psalm fifty-one is is one of those uh, seven of the penitential psalms. It's called. Um, 6 32 38 102 130 and 143 if you're interested. Those are penitential psalms. And and many of your translations may have and may include the, the superscriptions on the Psalms. You know, the, the, I'm told that in Hebrew class those are considered verses. And so a professor really knows if you're cheating on a Hebrew test, if you contain that those superscriptions, you know, you start with verse one as you know, create me a clean heart. Uh-uh you got to start with the superscription. So, anyway, that was an interesting. I didn't know that. I haven't gone to seminary, so that was one of the things. That, but anyway, originally, they, these were the verse one of the Psalm. Um, Psalm 51, how does it start out? What does it say? Somebody read it for me. The, the, the superscription, what does it say? To the
4: chief musician.
0: To the, te- to the chief musician. Do you know what this Psalm is? What was the context in which it was written? It was David's
4: uh, Synod of Bathsheba.
0: Everybody knows that story right? David is is a king. Israel's united. there was a time when kings got to war and David thought he'd kind of hold back this time he'd gone out to war every other time He's, these guys can handle the good generals. I'm gonna kick back, uh, drink a few brews on the rooftop and check out the city and lo and behold, there's a woman bathing and so David takes advantage of his power as king invites her in, and there's some debate on whether or not that would be considered uh, rape or it was a consensual adultery thing. I don't know either way it was sin right um, so he he um he commits this sin. this is the most shameful and notorious act of his entire his the history that we have of him in in scripture this rape or or adultery situation, whatever it was. Um, he keeps it quiet for like a year and covers it up by not only uh, not revealing what he's done, but setting her husband up to be killed in battle to mask and move on. So he compounds sin upon sin upon sin here. It's a horrible, horrible thing for the man after God's own heart to do that. So you have this whole idea of Uriah being killed um, and, and his, his lust engaged in this, in this uh, thing with Bathsheba and then he, he marries he takes her as a wife after this period of grieving over Uriah. And at the end of, uh, I think it's 2 Samuel 11, which describes this whole thing, there's a statement in there that should chill all of us to the bone. It says, he's gotten away with it He's masked it. He's moved on. But the thing displeased the Lord. There's a cloud. I like that. There's a cloud. The thing displeased the Lord. God's not going to let him get away with this. And I think that's the point with this. God does not allow us to remain in sin. At some point, we're going to feel the overwhelming compulsion to this is wrong. This, it displeases the Lord. So, you remember then what happens, Nathan the prophet takes a chance. And he goes and tells, uh, he goes and tells David a story about a, a shepherd who, or, who, had a, who had a lamb, his only lamb. And the rich man has some friends coming over, and even though he has a lot of flocks, he takes the poor man's lamb and serves it to his buddies. Right? So Nathan says, what should be done to this guy? And David being a core, shepherd himself, says, the man should be killed. The rich man should be killed. And his goods given to the... you know. Now, if you take an animal, that's even higher than the Levitical law, which we will, we will get there someday, I promise. Um, it's even higher than that. To kill a guy over a lamb? It's over the top. He should restore it four times, is what Leviticus says, but David pronounces judgment of death on this guy. And then Nathan points the finger at him and says, and I'll use King James because it just sounds cooler, thou... Art, the man. In court, in front of everyone, he accuses David of this incredible, heinous sin, of which David has already pronounced death, essentially, on himself for the crime. Right? The thing is exposed. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Mercy, Proverbs uh, 2813. All right. This psalm begins with to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So imagine this a public shame has been exposed. A public sin has been exposed. <clears throat> And the response you have, what's the natural response here? I'm going to Philistia. You know, I'm getting out of here. I'm doing something. His response is to write this psalm. Have you ever done anything that would just kill you that everyone else knew about? You ever, can you think of those things? All of us are clicking. Oh, don't call on me. Right? We all have those things. Would you write a song about it? and then give it to Gaston to sing on Sunday mornings. That's what's going on here. What an amazing thing. So let's look at it. Why wasn't he removed from the throne? God showed mercy because of his faithfulness to his covenant with David. It hinged on David remaining on the throne. He says, your throne will be established forever. David says in response to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan responds to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Even though he, he said the pronouncement is death, God said you're not going to die. How could he do that? How could he not? Isn't that inju- unjust with God? I mean, is there some kind of His son
3: paid for
0: it. His son paid for it. Which son? Well, there's a consequence. Absalom. And that the child of Bathsheba dies. Absalom. And Absalom, the, the, the sword will not depart from your house. There are consequences, but the judgment should have been on David. And yet, it brings us back to the gospel, doesn't it? His ultimate son would pay for it. And pay for it in full. Here's, here's the thing. Let's look at... Um, I think that Psalm fifty-one is the greatest chapter in the Bible on repentance, and I think the whole point of the story of Bathsheba and David is to give us this psalm. This is a this is a, a a textbook on how to repent rightly. Let's just read it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. (coughs) Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness of God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design and your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. What's going on here? Do we see a difference between remorse versus repentance? Here's David writing this. Everybody knows what he's talking about. To be sung in temple worship. What do you take from that? What do you take
4: from that? This is true repentance. He knows that what he has done is is wrong, and he's asking for forgiveness publicly, but asking specifically to God, the one who he is wrong. He says, "At the start, to you and you only have I sinned." Verse uh, four. He blames no one but himself.
0: He blames no one but himself. His focus That's is on he, God. He, <laughs> That was really pointless to erase that thing. I want to. I want to point to to four things that you can just guess what they will look like.
1: (laughs) You
0: gonna
4: erase
0: that one? No. That would be that would be pointless to erase that one. Let's try pink. Um, No.
4: Ah, there it is. Nice and bright. (laughs) It's very
0: odorless. Four things. The focus of David's prayer is on sin's guilt, not sin's consequences. we've We've talked about that already. his His focus is on sin's guilt, not sin's consequences. David spent the rest of his life under God's discipline. Um, those prophecies of Nathan that his children would dishonor him literally came true. We talked about Abs- Absalom. There was the death of the child born by Bathsheba. The grief was so strong that David's advisors didn't want to tell him. Remember that? We don't want to tell him. He's, been, he's not been eating for these days, waiting, praying for this kid. He'll kill himself if we tell him, but he didn't. In this psalm, though, which was written right after, according to the, the uh, subscription, right after Nathan the prophet went to him, he doesn't mention these things. I'm, I'm looking at all 19 verses here, and I'm not seeing any mention of, the. oh, please save the child. Please take the sword from my house. Don't let people look at me weird. You know, you don't see any of that. His outrage was over his own sin. Look at verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. There's the. Um, There's the cloud. Uh, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. In the standard of God, he recognizes he's guilty. Not, I'm going to face this now. I'm guilty. Uh, 1 John uh, 1.9 says, uh, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. When we confess, that means we agree with God. We agree with His standard. We agree with that He has laid out what is holiness and that we have fallen below it. Raw emotion does not show repentance. Just being tearful over something does not show right repentance. It could be crying over the consequences, Right? But here, he is owning it. True repentance is a deep conviction of our own guilt. So, we say, um, focus... Oops. That's Latin. Uh, Focus is on guilt, not consequences. Focus is on guilt, not consequences. I mean later he does plead for the life of the child. Later he does plead for Absalom, but not here, not at this point. Number two, you said his focus was Godward, not inward. Oh, I feel really bad about this. I just wish I could stop feeling bad about this. Is that often how we how we do it? Focus is Godward. How do we know that? What does he say? Against you, you only have I sinned. Is that true? What about Uriah? Is he saying that? Yeah, God was just against you. And What about the child? What about Bathsheba? Is that true? What does he mean by that? Against you and you only have I sinned. I think that's right. Ultimately, it's all a violation of God's nature. It's not just a breach of the rules that we have, 1 through 10, which we'll get to in February. Those are a reflection of who God is. And when we violate God's nature, His, His commandments, we're violating His very nature. We're saying, you're not good enough, this is better.
2: To us, mm-hmm. and so if he was looking at Bathsheba as she was made in God's image, mm-hmm. then he would have turned away the first time he saw. Oh, there's a lady bathing on her roof. Mm-hmm. He he would have recognized that she was made in God's image, and by sinning against her, he is ultimately sinning against God.
0: Yes, and and the the what's the, what's the focus of the culture? What's the Oprah mentality here? We, we focus on our self-esteem, right? I need to feel good about me. Um, and, and we forget the, the guilt. We don't own the guilt. We just want to, th- I think, mask and move on. It's a, a good way to do it, uh, a good way to talk about it. David recognizes that the one, oh, this is weird. He recognizes that the one whom he has sinned against is God. So what does he do? What, who is he pursuing. Somebody makes him feel good about himself? He pursues God. He's going toward God. You and you only have I sinned. You restore to me the joy of my salvation. You don't cast me away from your presence. I mean, he's pursuing the one whom he has offended. That's repentance. When you go to the one you've offended and repent to to them and, and, and ask for forgiveness from them. And in this case, well, in every case, it's God. Um, remorse leads to avoiding God, no prayer, no Bible study, no church. But ironically, true repentance, right repentance, um, <clears throat> involves wanting the one whom we have offended. Alright. Number, number three. Focus is on a, a getting a pardon. <clears throat> it's getting a pardon. Not getting pity. I'm only human, born to make mistakes. Pity only has one What's that? It only has one T. Does team. it? Yes. Yeah. That would be bad, wouldn't it? I'm <laughs> only really human. A pity party. <laughs> I'm only I'm only human, I can't spell, so pity. Yeah, I know There's no little red squiggly line under my thing. think. So so. The focus is on getting forgiven, getting a pardon, not, oh, it's so sad, the state that I'm in. Do we see that in our culture? I mean, if he was wanting to get pity, he'd just tell a select few, you know, those who happened to be there with Nathan. um, Penalty of death, you talk about this again. uh, You know, he's king. Um, He certainly wouldn't write a psalm about it to be sung in temple worship to get pity. Uh, Verse 4 says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's not a pity call. That is, I need forgiveness, I'm owning guilt. Um, (coughs) So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. That's confession. That's agreeing with the standard of God that is right. I'm not trying to get pity for me. You can certainly understand why I would do this. I mean, she's she's bathing. What am I supposed to do? Right? That's pity. Um, but no, he points to God and his standard and his, and that he may be justified in his words and blameless in his judgment. And number five, uh, verse five, is a classic uh, text that points us to the nature of who we are uh, from Christ. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not disparaging his mom. He's talking about the nature in which he was born. We're born with a heart toward rebelling against God. We want to set our own standard, and then violate that too, uh, but we certainly don't want God's standard. We're rebellious by nature against the law of God, against the nature of God. And he's not saying this for pity's sake, He's saying it because he wants to be transformed from this to holiness, to righteousness in, in God. Alright. What's the objection there? The objection to say that we're born sinners in the culture is, well, then I'm not responsible. That's not fair. It's, it's, it's you know, it's your fault, God, that you, baby, I was born this way, right? I, I, this is who I am, It's not fair that you judge me according to a standard that is objective apart from me. Um, And that fails. Because when I sin, even though I am uh, uh, born with a nature to rage, anger, whatever, um, when I sin, I do so willfully and knowingly. I have to own it, because that's what I'm doing out of my nature. Um, David here was not using it as an excuse, He's just recognized the core of who He is. It's not an excuse, but a reason for further condemnation. Alright. So, so, you're seeing this kind of stuff. Is this really um, only right for people who commit gross sin? What we consider gross sin. The real big stuff, you know, like murder, adultery, those kinds of things. Sin is sin. sin is sin. Why? That seems kind of harsh. I mean, just one little lie. It made them feel better about themselves. God, yeah, it's, disobedience. it's disobedience. It's a character of God. It's a violation of who He is. What else? What else?
1: Separation.
0: Separation from God, and What's your what is the? Why is it? Why is this not just applicable to a big the big what we consider the big sins? Well,
3: we need to have the attitude. We should have this attitude about every sin. That it because mm-hmm. it's all when we look at the standard so if there, you keep your eyes on Christ then every single little, little thing yeah. is going to be bigger
0: it's not needed. It's not little Yeah. but yeah.
1: well, little yeah. sins often have very big consequences
0: and they have deep roots mm-hmm. yes. a pattern of lying has a deep root of distrust, of unbelief and the goodness of God to actually work something out that's beautiful in telling the truth Um. ok any, any other comments on that? The, the big versus little, yeah. And
3: if we're sorry, not going to be repenting of those little sins, then there's going to be big stuff that we're not going to do.
0: Sure. Sure. It's, gonna,
3: it's, gonna, it's, it's not going like to caught snowball. Yeah. So the little sins build up and maybe they cause you to, since mm-hmm. you're not of those, and you're going to be caught in a big act and then, then you're remorseful or mm-hmm. then maybe repenting.
0: Maybe. <laughs> yeah.
4: There's, there's a distinction. Between the scale of the sin uh-huh. and the effect, okay, and that's that's
1: um, crucial. and yeah. played into God's character.
4: Sure,
0: there's a there are different consequences. There's a consequence between hating your brother and plunging a knife into your brother, but the root cause of that is the same. The same. It's still a a. Um, a usurpation of the nature of God. How's that for a big word? It is a, it is a slamming against the nature of God that He's not worth. He's not, the, he's not a good judge. I have to be the judge.
4: Right. You were asking why this uh, applies not only to large sins but to small sins. Mm-hmm. The standard is Jesus. So God said that all sin is sin mm-hmm. while different consequences, etc. We are being made um, into the image of Christ, conformed and growing in the image of Christ, mm-hmm. which is Is a perfect image. Right. Therefore, let's say there are no large sins, the medium sins become the large sins. Right. The small sins, so the goal is perfection. The goal is Christ.
0: Yeah. Which we're constantly striving toward and will be made when He returns. Yes. I I think that even
2: with those habitual small sins, we tend to not pick up our Bible as often, which then leads to more, I call it, scarring of your heart mm-hmm. where you, you, you don't you're not convicted so easily mm-hmm. you can kind of you kind of become numb
0: a blindness sets into those you things you can show yeah. up
2: to church on sunday and mm-hmm. sit through a service maybe because you haven't been picking your bible up during the week or praying and mm-hmm. you've kind of got this scarring already built up yeah so it's a separation you can continue to to do those small sins which may very likely grow into big
0: sins. Right, right. And, 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 it, and it sets up a pattern of dealing. If yeah. I'm not uh, pliable before the Holy Spirit, I'm not... Um, I mean, David was going to move on with this. Adultery and murder, and he was going to keep on going and, and and participate in temple worship and the whole thing, and be the king, the representative to, you know, uh, of God uh, to the people, and, and vice versa. So... The fourth thing, focus here is on cleansing. (coughs) Not covering. No, not a cover-up. Focus is on cleansing, not a cover-up. Look at what he says in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, he says, uh, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. This is like a dirty garment he's comparing it to. There's, there's moral leper, leprosy on him and he's cleansing from. Think of Naaman dipping into the Jordan. Um, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The referral there in, in, in verse 7 is, this is atonement language. This is the, the Passover lamb being sacrificed. And, and, and this is the, the lamb of the daily sacrifice for atonement being made in the temple where they take the hyssop, you know, this a little bushy plant, and they sprinkle it on the altar. And Moses, at one point when they took the covenant or, or accepted the covenant, he sprinkles it on the people. This is to atone for their sin, to to, um, blot it out. Verse 9, he says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. There's that full circle of the, get rid of this. Um, Charles Spurgeon, in in, in commenting on this passage, points out that the hypocrite is one that just wants the garment clean. The truly repentant soul says, Wash me. I don't want to just look holy, I want to be holy. I don't want just look churchy. I want to be the church. I want to be right before you. Um, and notice the change in David. From the beginning, he wanted to conceal it. Now he just doesn't care. He wants cleansing. That's right repentance, to want the cleansing. And only divine grace can accomplish what needs to be done. Nothing short of a creative act or restore him. Repentance is a gift from God. And David pleads for God to do what he cannot do for himself. And we see that he was given that later in in Psalm 34, where he, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Um, And and, and we talked about it a little bit before. How is he able to stay on the throne? How is he able not to be killed? It's because of Christ. This brings us full circle of the gospel. The only point that he has, the only basis he has to repent is what Christ would do for him and what Christ has done for us on the cross, the finished work of the cross. So any any questions on on this? I know we're running a little long. We always run a little long, but
2: I'll repent before you <laughs> um, I just, Yes? just gonna say then he goes on to say, then I'll teach transgressors your ways and then mm-hmm. we'll make sacrifices, meaning repentance is a prerequisite for right worship and right evangelism,
0: and right, right be, being able to be a mentor or teacher mm-hmm. to other people, and our hearts aren't right, we have no business. Well, and, and as Dave talked about last Sunday night, the, 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 the overflow of right church life, of right repentance, reading, prayer, fellowship, all of those things, a right overflow of that is evangelism. It just spills out. It's not a program. It just spills out. That's who we are. We have to tell because our hearts are full. And his heart was full here with the grace and mercy of God. And and he goes right to that. I'll tell transgressors your way. I'll, I'll give right sacrifices. So are we doing that? Are we repenting rightly? Have you ever heard a teaching on this before? On how to repent? What does it look like? I, um... It, I was in my 30s. Um, and I think it's helpful to have this model in our head of where we need to be focusing on. Because we don't feel this on the front end many times. And, that, and I think prayer, what we talked about last week, prayer is the emotional engagement of what we have knowledge for. And it begins in, repentance begins in prayer. Creating me. I mean, I don't think, I don't know that David necessarily maybe felt like doing this at the beginning he did at the end. So, any other comments, questions, concerns, mm-hmm. corrections? I can't think of any other C's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Caveats. Caveats.
3: I, uh, I had to memorize verses 10 through 13 just to pray and have grown very familiar with the progression um, and it helped me a lot this week reflecting on that. Um, in verse 10 it says, create me a clean heart, renew the right spirit, renew the spirit. So there he's showing his dependence on God for salvation, mm-hmm. for regeneration in the first place. And mm-hmm. then the next is, um, I, well, there's the casting out from your presence. Um, but then restore to me the joy of your salvation. Um, did I miss one?
0: And uphold me with a willing spirit.
3: The virgin I remember I said, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me mm-hmm. And so it's like a progression of God I need you to grant me repentance because mm-hmm. even before that he said, let the bones that you have broken rejoice mm-hmm. saying, God you've you've given me you've broken me right. now heal me up. And so we're dependent on him for repentance in the first place or mm-hmm. dependent on him for salvation. we're dependent on him for sanctification and then David keeps asking you know give me a willing spirit, help me help me to enjoy my, my salvation again. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, like Tammy said, um, uh, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. So we Mm -hmm. can't do our job as a believer. We can't positively, on purpose, impact anyone positively Mm -hmm. if we don't have that going in us, the salvation and daily regeneration. It's a really helpful thing to pray daily, like Mm -hmm. waking up for those verses.
0: Known and unknown. Some of of the Valley of Vision prayers talk about known and unknown Mm -hmm. sins
4: we were doing a one-to-one, you'd ask what strikes me. What strikes me I okay. think the most we'll is verse you. 17. Verse 17, okay. And it's talking about uh, a yeah. broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, Oh God, you will not despise. Right. And I think contrite, I don't really know what it means. It means repentance. Mm-hmm. Like a uh, turn back from. Mm-hmm. Humble, right? I humble.
0: think, a humbleness.
4: And and humility is, is, that's what really jumps out at me is when we sin, if we don't have a humble heart. With before God, mm-hmm. then we go. Oh, I don't really care what God has to say. I'm elevating myself above God, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't really, you know, care. He, he's he's not lord over my life in this area. Right. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. But a humble heart says, God is king, and He has commanded me to do this. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I I need to do this. Right. You know, it's humility.
0: Yeah, I was at Augustine that said uh, the, the, the key to Christianity is three things. Humility, humility, and humility. <laughs> so. Location, location, and humility. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> real estate. I'm sorry, that's different. Um, Alright. We probably need to to exit the premises. Um, let me uh, Let me pray. Father, we don't do this well. This repentance that you've called us to. It's not natural to us, and it should be. There's a lot of crustiness remaining on these hearts that you have transformed from stone to flesh. We balk at this. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to admit that you are right and we are wrong. We want to say you're mostly right and we're mostly wrong. And reserve some dignity for ourselves. But that's not the way of right repentance. The way of right repentance is to completely own it, and then to plead for your freely given repentance and freely given forgiveness. Father, thank you that we have that confidence in your nature that you are merciful that we can come to You because You love us and You care for us and You have provided for us in Christ. Give us hearts that run to You in brokenness and in joy because of who You are and what You've done for us in Jesus. Don't let us run away from the means of Your grace, but run to them. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name.